The views expressed in this podcast are those of the speaker at the time of the recording are not necessarily those of Jupiter and may change in the future. Jupiter is unable to provide investment advice, so we recommend you discuss any investment decision with a financial advisor. Market and exchange rate movements can cause investment values to fall as well as rise, and you may get back less than originally invested. Any data or views given in this podcast should not be construed as investment advice. Hello, and welcome to our new podcast series, Jupiter Active Minds. I'm Mark Thomas, and today I'm joined by Mr. Jupiter himself, our Vice Chairman Edward Bonham Carter. In this first episode, we discuss his experience of lockdown, his view on the current and future markets, the importance of ESG, and we even touch on the value versus growth debate. So, Edward, thank you very much for joining us today. And welcome to this podcast series uh, and the start of the podcast series. Well, it's a pleasure to be here, Mark, and it's nice hearing you. And we're very lucky for the purpose of the listeners that we're listening to each other. Absolutely. So, Edward, uh, just to start the ball rolling, you've been in the industry over 35 years now. More importantly, you've been at Jupiter for 26 years. And in that time, you've been a fund manager, you've been CIO, you've been CEO, and now vice chairman. Clearly, we're in unprecedented territory with the coronavirus situation. How have you found it personally? And I know you've passed an important milestone in in the birthday in May, so I'd like to know how you did celebrate that birthday and also how you're finding it professionally. Yeah, so personally, look, look, I've been very lucky, Mark. Uh, We rent a house down in the country in West Sussex and I'm here with my family. My elder son has rejoined us from university, looking particularly hairy. And we're having a very nice time. I mean, obviously, I'm still working like a lot of people who've been, who are listening on Zoom and various other forms of um, screens. Uh, but luckily, I don't have to sit on a screen from 8.30 in the morning to 6 at night. So I admire people with the stamina who can do that. So uh, I do a lot of meetings by Zoom, but it's not a nine to five situation. So we're very lucky in the country. And I find myself doing much more yoga my wife and I do yoga once a week. We now do it about four times a week. I'm sure you're a yoga bunny yourself, Mark, but I thoroughly recommend it to listeners. It, it stretches both your mind and your body and makes you feel mentally calm, which I think is an important thing coming to your question about COVID. Um, as to professionally, you're absolutely right. If you told most organisations with two or three days notice that they'd have to run their firms remotely, most people wouldn't have believed that that would have been possible. And I think that's the first things that's impressed me, um, that companies have coped. It shows how adaptable the human being is. Uh, obviously, there are issues and problems, and some people have got challenges, particularly, I think, if they've got young children or in their small apartments in inner cities. My sympathies and empathies go out to them because that's not easy. Um, But as you say, it's unprecedented. And you're quite right. I celebrated uh, a significant birthday. I'd like to say it was 50. But those listeners who are good at mass, I actually started my career 38 years ago at Schroeder's in 1982. So you can do some mental arithmetic and realize that 
it's three score in the Shakespearean terms, a score being 20. I'll let the others do the mathematics. And uh, we celebrate, I think, with a little picnic. I can't remember. I'm sure it was a lockdown Boris Johnson one hour a day out of the house picnic. That was May the 24th for those people who want to send me a birthday card in the following year. So it was different. And I'm sure uh, I'll postpone the celebration to include friends at a, at a later date. Well, we certainly look forward to that. And clearly, uh, yoga is not my strong point, uh, but I certainly walk the dog every morning. Um, so I've been lucky enough to be sort of a, a, away from London. Uh, I walk the dog every morning. You're absolutely right uh, to give you some sort of clarity, uh, particularly as I do do Zoom calls uh, from eight o'clock in the morning until six o'clock in the evening. And it is intense and a lot of people are having to do the same. So I think having that break is important. But I think you're absolutely right. Adapting you know, being get the, the human uh, body and mind adapts quickly, and it is quite amazing. It, that's the bit that's hit me. I mean, speaking of that, back in February, we actually announced the potential of an acquisition for Merion. Is everything going to plan? Um, secondly, what does this mean for Jupiter? Yeah, look, this is uh, this is Jupiter's first major acquisition since it was founded um, over thirty years ago. 35 years ago. So it's a credit to Andrew and his team uh, that they're executing on this acquisition. The key thing for us is, does it make sense for our clients? And does it make sense culturally? And Marion, in essence, is pretty similar to Jupiter. They're talented fund managers, bottom-up fund managers, with the addition of a sig significant systematic strategy within the business. Uh, it was interesting, and it is interesting, that TA, who backed Merrin in their buyout from Old Mutual, are now becoming shareholders in Jupiter again, uh, so that they're a known quantity to us and us to them, uh, having backed us in our management buyout back in 2007. So that, that makes made the deal much easier to execute, even though it was complicated. You know, completing the deal is just the first stage of it, what we've then got to do is welcome our new colleagues into our, well, initially it's our virtual office and then our real office uh, later in the year. And to make this work, we've got to make sure the clients are happy, uh, the Merion staff are happy and our staff are happy. But I think there's a, a good basis to make a, a better firm and that Jupiter and Merion, it is a case of one plus one, even with my bad mass, uh, adding up to more than two. So this, but this is just the start. Yes, and, and I totally agree. Whilst my tenure at Jupiter has been much shorter than yours, uh, but you know, I think the, the reactions from clients so far have been very positive, and I think we've got a great opportunity going forward. I think just linked to that, you mentioned about virtual office. Logistically, how are we going to fit everybody into the office? Well, good question, especially with social distancing. So our return to the office is going to be phased like so many, and it depends on the pathway of recovery from COVID in a health sense. Um, but we have enough space in the building. Uh, and I think that so we can go on to talk about it later, but how the world looks post-COVID in terms of working environment um, is quite interesting. My instinct tells me that it's going to be a combination of people having the choice and to some extent the luxury of working at home with all the benefits that go with that. There are some downsides, but there's some benefits. And then being able to go into the office as well. So I think the future of work in terms of offices is going to look 
one which is more flexible and will suit people's work-life balance. And hopefully, to your point, won't involve all the time being on Zoom calls, but it will be a mixture of both, which I think is going to be a good thing. I mean, moving it on a little bit, um, clearly the shock to the markets in February and March were, again, unprecedented. Uh, and the, and, the, and the, the volatility that we saw, you know, as a long-term investor yourself and, and being involved in the markets for the you know long time, what would you say to one of our clients and their clients about the, the, the short-term impacts on these markets? And, 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 and then we'd like to look further out and what that might mean for the next five to 10 years. Yeah. Well, they're really, um, look, there are lots of, as people say, unprecedented, but the extraordinary thing about this was the sort of, many governments around the world voluntarily going into lockdown, which means that the economy for the last two or three months, it may go on a bit, had the biggest fall ever. Well, some people say for 300 years. In my book, that's the biggest fall ever in modern economic history, with GDP falling you know, variously around the world, 10, 15, 20 percent. And that's pretty extraordinary. Uh, the reaction of the governments uh, in terms of providing support, income support, furlough schemes, loan support to businesses, large, medium and small, all of this uh, being deemed necessary. I won't have an argument about or discussion on whether we should have gone into lockdown. We are where we are. And that, not surprisingly, as you said, uh, precipitated a sudden fall in markets and quite a steep recovery, which has... Um, Surprised a lot of people, including myself, how steep it's been. Now, as we all know, and I've always said, uh, predicting markets is uh, uh, either you're a genius and there are very few in the world or a few foolish thing to do. Um, but what, what are the long term effects going to be? I think it's there's going to be substantial scarring, economic scarring to the, if you like, the productive muscle of this country. Confidence has been hit. There's still big question marks of how long people are going to be out of work or furloughed for. What is the state of consumer confidence is a big question. You know, as you, as you know, shops have just opened up. So I think there's still some big questions. And I think it's going to get time for things to go back to normal, inverted commas normal, because none of us know uh, what normal post-COVID looks like. So I think longer term, I'm optimistic because of the point you made earlier that Human beings are adaptable and they're social beings. They want to get back to work and back to having a social life in the fullest sense of the word. Um, but one of the effects of lockdown, it's made a lot of people not unreasonably cautious, cautious about commuting, maybe cautious about getting together in big groups. And economic activity is partly related, obviously, to getting people together in some form or another. And that, I think that's going to take a, a bit of time. Thank you. And I suppose, again, connected to that, um, maybe as bold to ask you, um, where on a sort of a 10-year view you would put your own money, which, of course, is in Jupiter funds, uh, I'm sure. But, you know, just in, in ter even just in terms of areas of investment, you know, equities, asset classes, uh, can't obviously ask you to deliver your personal portfolio. Uh, but, yeah, just w what your thoughts are on that on a five, 10-year view. Well, as you say, my personal portfolio, I don't mind saying it, is a, a, a reasonable chunk of Jupiter shares, um, some cash, quite a lot of Jupiter funds. And then I help my children save, put it that way, by contributing to ISAs. And that goes into um, global shares. And I think longer term, uh, 
I'm optimistic about global markets. I'm not a wild bull necessarily, but I'm optimistic. I think uh, shares do better than debt over the long term. That's that's both the theory and the practice. Uh, I think emerging markets on a five to 10 year view, if the world is going to prosper, we need the you know, five or six billion people who are developing in economic terms to share in the wealth that we've all had in the West, so to speak. So I think there's going to be growth in emerging markets. I think there are longer term questions about how we're going to deal with the debt that we've accumulated in the last few months, added to already high debt levels in governments. So uh, I think there's going to be a period still of deflation where economies are struggling. But at some point, I think inflation will return. Again, that's in the area of too hard to predict, but I think that's going to make a difference. And if inflation does return, let's say in two years time, then obviously in that environment, debt or fixed income will tend to do less well than equities. And then in terms of sectors, you know, it's hard to predict. One of the big changes of COVID that maybe was happening before was that the world was, which I think is a bad thing, was turning in on itself, becoming a bit more national, a bit more protective. Uh, on a 10-year view, the key geopolitical um, relationship is going to be between the US and China. And that's, you know, how that plays out is going to have a big effect on all of us. And as far as this little island's concerned, you know, in the short term, we're swapping the recovery from COVID with the uncertainty of Brexit. So, you know, welcome back Brexit, if you can say welcome back Brexit. So, you know, in the short term, there's some challenges. Is it the end of some sectors? I don't know about that. I mean, people are saying that, you know, there was flight shaming or fleet sham, I think it's called. That My Swedish is not very good, probably not as good as yours, Mark. But flight shaming was happening before post-COVID. And that's going to be one of the trends interesting to see. As people get their confidence back, are they going to want and be willing to go on uh, airplanes again and go on foreign holidays. I suspect it will come back, but it might take a bit longer. Hospitality. Yeah, I think that's going to come back quicker. I think people will go and see their friends in pubs and restaurants. But I think the retail space in general, um, you know, that that was a tough space for physical retail before COVID and the trends onto the Internet have accelerated so I think there are probably going to be some enduring changes in the retail. Yeah, thank you. I, yeah, I, I, again, I would sort of agree with that. But I, I think what's interesting is, as we said before, it's been amazing how we've all adapted to this new new normal, whatever that means. And I think we will adapt We will adapt again and we may just forget because it's about, you know, what I think this has taught me is about moving forward, being sensible, but moving forward and not, not always looking back. And so I think we can adapt. I think the big debate that's gone on now for the last 10 years is value versus growth. Um, clearly, in Ben Whitmore, we have one of the best value managers in, in, in the country. Um, but you know, but growth has certainly won out over the last 10 years. We did see two weeks, uh, just a short time ago, two weeks of recovery in value, and then it's, it's replanted itself. Clear we're at a 100-year dispersion now between growth and value. Have you anything to add to that? I mean, you know, Ben is optimistic, or not certainly on a long-term view, but clearly it is very difficult in the short term. But have you anything to add to that, that debate that continues? Yeah, yeah look... Uh, declare my prejudice. I, I ran the Jupiter Value Fund uh, many years ago, which was then merged, became part of UK Growth, funnily enough. 
um, which I think I also ran, funnily enough, before I was fired as a fund manager and promoted beyond my area of competence to become CIO, which tends to happen to people in the finance sector. So uh, I've got to go. Uh, I, I'm partial to value investing. Um, is it different this time? Those most famous words in investment. Um, I think the world is changing radically in terms of technology and what what it is doing to barriers to entry in different sectors. And the, the, the difficulty of value investors uh, is to sort out the so-called value traps, the businesses that look cheap on a PE of eight or five, but are actually going to naught because they're disappearing as a result of big changes. And those companies which are cheap and are going to recover. And I think, obviously, I'm an admirer of my colleague, Ben Whitmore. He's a very good value investor. And of course, I think there's a place for it, as there is a place for growth investing. Uh, so I can't give you and won't give you any predictions for the recovery of value on a sustained basis. But I think in terms of investment, sometimes about probabilities and just as people start giving up on things and make things cheaper, uh, rather like in betting terms, the odds are going in the investor's favor. But you do, you do need a good fund manager, as always. And you expect me to say that to take advantage. I certainly can't disagree with you on that on that point. I, I, Again, slightly linked to that, but again, talking about different sectors and themes, ESG has become front of office, if you will. Uh, but having said that, Jupiter, you know, we've had a fund dating back over 30 years. Um, what do you think about the, you know, is it here to stay this time? And, and then the attention it's attracting, is that here to also to stay? Yeah, you're right to say we, uh, Jupiter launched the Ecology Fund back in the 80s, the late 80s. So it's um, nearly as old as me, Mark. And it was launched at a time when it was the preserve, as it was seen then as sort of tree huggers and tofu eating um, hippies, for want of a better I'm sure I look rather like a hippie at the moment. So now it's, as you say, mainstream, and I think for good reason. I think um, people have realised that the state of the earth and this small blue marble spinning around the sun uh, is important to us all, and we need to get our heads around it in terms of attitudes and therefore behaviours. So it is definitely, it was here to stay pre-COVID, and I think COVID has strangely reinforced uh, the attitude towards sustainable living. Um, and I think that's the, the thing I'd pick out in ESG because there can be a lot of buzzwords. But sustainability, in my view, is about how you build uh, sustainable companies and sustainable means, you know, providing proper answers and solutions to your customers, looking after your staff and colleagues, your wider stakeholders around you uh, and the community that a company operates in. And then that provides a sustainable level of revenues and profits for your owners of the business. Uh, and if you're properly G, governanced, so the, the, the governance function of the business, we look at quite seriously under our governance team, then that's also very important. But it's really about sustainability in the longer term. Uh, when you're running a business for the longer term, and that's what it should be, and that's one of the challenges in businesses, both for investors and for us in the business, is how to think long term. When, as you say, markets are very short term and prices bob up and down like a ping pong ball on the, you know, a rough sea. So I think it is here to stay to conclude the answer. Uh, and it's particularly it's not just a generational thing. Obviously, younger people have a great concern about this. But I think this is seeping into the thinking behaviours of all of us as parents, 
you know, and and my parents as well, my mother, because my father sadly died. So people thinking about what sort of planet and society as well that they want to bequeath on their successors. Yeah, totally agree. And I think the good news is for us, as you said, we've got a fund that we launched over 30 years ago and we two years ago we launched the Global Sustainable Fund. So I think we're well placed to to push forward in that 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 maturing theme. I think you know, by putting uh, Merion together with Jupiter, we, we, our aim as a business is to create, you know, the UK's leading active manager. Um, and that's part of my aim and part of the business's aim. What do you think are the, the attributes required to be an active manager? Yeah, there are probably a number, you know, in the, in the Bake Off ingredients competition, what would you throw into the active cake? Uh, I think it's independent thinking, um, people who are confident but not arrogant or complacent. In other words, people who have a view, who are willing to take quite focused positions. Let's say typically our active fund manager so have 40 to 60 stocks in their portfolio. We're paid to take a view against the market. So that's bigger positions and not having exposure to any big stocks at all that they don't like, for example. So that requires courage. Uh, an ability, I think with fund managers, one of the things is you're being bombarded with information, whether it's company meetings, Zoom meetings with management, data coming through your Bloomberg all the time, and you're searching for significance and trying to apply it in a portfolio. And that's a rare skill. People say, oh, you have to be very intelligent. Well, there's not necessarily a link between, let's say, a first class degree and a theoretical physics, though it might go with that, but it's more of a uh, of a discipline, having a clear investment philosophy, which you apply consistently. And then the really difficult thing is knowing when you're wrong and admitting your mistakes. Uh, and that's a really hard skill. And I was always very bad at selling when I was a, a fund manager because it's a behavioral bias we have as humans. We don't want to admit our mistakes. And even the best fund managers, you know, they're rarely going to have a hit rate. In other words, successful choice of investments above 60, 65 percent equally weighted. So by definition, a third of their portfolio at times is going to be a mistake, inverted commas, and they have to admit and recycle their clients capital into something which is going to offer a better investment possibility. And then what, as you're suggesting, what we're about at Jupiter under Stephen Pearson is creating, as CIO, creating a culture that attracts this talent and creates a working environment that promotes, if you like, exchange of ideas, but respects the individual fund manager who and their small teams who can operate within disciplined risk controls and making sure everyone adheres to the rules and regulations, but is giving them the freedom of thought and action rather like a craftsman in the old sense of the word who takes pride in his or her profession to create the, the best portfolio. So it's it's very easy to talk about culture. It's not easy to, to create one and cherish and, and develop it. And hopefully, and I believe that the Marion and Jupiter combination is going to add to that fertile culture of active stock picking and active fund management, because it's worth saying that the fixed income business is bigger and bigger within Jupiter. Absolutely. 
So just to try and, as we come to a close of this first um, episode of our podcast series, I just wanted to lighten it a little bit because we've asked you, I've asked you some some sort of serious questions and, and, and challenging questions. Um, the zigzag building uh, on Victoria Street is not far from Westminster. Have you ever fancied sort of walking another mile and stepping into those the, the, that wonderful building uh, just on the River Thames? Yeah, it's it's also not far from Buckingham Palace, but I haven't been invited to go go there either, so <laughs> that's a bit of a shame. Um, well, I suppose I've tempted my family, but before me, have got long history in politics, liberal politicians, both with a big L and a small L. Um, Look, I've got my views on politics. I think politics is absolutely fascinating, but also depressing at the same time. And I'm not just talking necessarily about today, but just that the profession, if you can call it the profession of politics. Uh, I have a personal view that people should go into politics sort of later in their life rather than as sort of polished students, i.e. going with some experience of the so-called real world. But I, I've avoided the temptation. Uh, my wife, Victoria, says she doesn't want to be a constituency MP's wife. And I can sympathise with that. I wouldn't want to be one either for various reasons. So uh, I think politics is interesting. You know, politics, it, it determines the sort of conditions we live in in this country and other countries. But on the other hand, people get on with their lives almost in spite of it as well. So it's, it's that odd mixture of everything and nothing. Well, I'm delighted with your answer. That means we get you more. Um, and I, I think what a lot of people won't realise is that as vice chairman, you're in the office more or less every day. Uh, you're obviously talking to the fund managers. You're working and you're there and able to. So, you know, that's your daily routine, which is fantastic for a business like Jupiter to have that experience. Uh, I know you sit next to uh, an Andrew Formica uh, office uh, and that, you know, I'm sure that, makes for good conversation and, and, and advice. Um, so I think for us, we are massive beneficiaries of that. So I'm delighted you've not chosen to go the further one and a half miles to Westminster or to Buckingham Palace, in fact. Um, but if we could give you, just to finish off, if we could give you one wish, uh, whether that's looking into your crystal ball, what is your wish for Jupiter in the future? I think I, I wish it that it continues to hire uh, talented people, with a good culture that continues to deliver for its clients. So if you like, I've given you three answers in one. And if we, if we can do all that, then we'll do a brilliant job and succeed as a company. I could not agree more. So Edward Bonham Carter, thank you for your time today. Uh, much appreciated. And we look forward to the next podcast. Yeah, me too, Mark. Thanks very much. Mm-hmm.